Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, I am thoroughly curious. Have you ever had a year in your life where someone has mandated a goal for you to achieve? Do you know what? I haven't. Perfect. This is going to be the year I'm mandating that you subscribe to the newsletter and consume every single one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I've already done it. Wow. Well, in that case, I'm still going to mandate it. I'm going to check in on it. If you have not subscribed, Charlie, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your name and email and I will send you an email every single time you write one just to let you know that we've dropped a new episode. Just saying. It's a great deal. (laughs) All right. Let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant, this is part two of the property goals episode. Now, we actually originally planned to do this in one episode, but I got very into the conversation about your goals. It was was hilarious. I'm like, at some point, we'll reverse mark and point it at you. (laughs) It just didn't happen. Well, this is something that I find really interesting in general, but particularly in property. If you if you meet someone and they say, look, my goal, which in your case was, look, I want to acquire four properties in the year, right? I want to know all the thinking that went behind it. How did they come to make that decision and how do they know it's right for them? Because in passing, if you just get like the surface level notes and you don't understand the thinking, well, then did you really develop any skill in being able to develop your own goals? So for myself, I was sitting there and like, even though we're at different stages and even though we have different goals and even though all the variety of factors, the decision-making process that went into your goals, I actually picked up some things and was like, oh, I want to actually be able to apply that. So I hope people who haven't go back and listen to that first episode because I thought as we unpacked your goals, that could be very helpful in actually getting people to set their own goals and the thinking that might go into their circumstances course, not financial advice, speak with advisors, but I found it curious, not the less. Totally. Have you ever asked those types of like deeper questions or like the second and third layer questions to someone and the substance just not being there? I've been deeply concerned. Yeah. And and they're like, why do you want to achieve that? Uh, Just because. And it's almost like they just recreate what someone else has said. It's like, I heard it somewhere else and I've just, I want to do the same thing. So where's the substance? Where's the... Yeah, where's the congruency? Where's yeah the conviction that sits behind it? Yeah, you know the one in property though. It's what? the 10 properties. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, so I love it when people pick up other people's goals and then just like, oh, well, this is clearly the goal to have, so I'm going to have that goal. And I'm like, you sure that's right for you? Like what if you just <laughs> need one property and you can have a great life? Or you need yeah. 20 to live the lifestyle you would need. Like where did it come to the idea that this arbitrage, what is it? 10 properties and $100,000 in passive income per year is the thing that's actually right for you. And I just think that is so interesting. And it only takes the question of why did you pick that to figure it out. And it's like, I, I, just, I just heard it. So today, I, I think we're going to swip the, flip the script and actually dive into your property goals for the year. Yeah, talk about a tough act to follow. <laughs> are you wait for me or for you? I'm like, your questions were great. I'm, I'm stressed out, girl. Am I going to be able to ask as good of questions? I, I remember hearing from uh, on a podcast episode with Joe Rogan, he talks about how he used to have to go on stage after like a really big name like Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, He used to hate it. He used to absolutely hate it, right? So like Andrew Dice Clay's come out and just like crushed the room and then like he'd get up there and just like a very tough act to follow. That's how I feel right now. That's exactly how I feel. Well, I'm I'm glad that I've set it up. This is this this means it's going to be great because you know what I get to ask deep questions because I, I know the analysis that you put behind your goals and I understand where you're going with them. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to diving into it. Yeah, do so, not let this relaxed character fool you. I'm intensely prepared and have you know really gone about thinking through strategies, what if scenarios, all of it. This is like the most well through set, uh, well thought through set of goals you're ever going to come across. Is is that because when you know that I host a podcast, you have no idea what type of questions I'm going to throw at 
season. No, it's actually because I felt a lot of pressure after hearing your goals. I'm like, I really need to up my game. So I've had a few days to work on mine a bit more. I was like, I was waiting for a hosting compliment. All right, let's uh, let's get into it. So I'm curious, and this was your first question. I, I thought it was a great question. Before you talk about your goals, how did you come up with them? Like, where did they come from? Is this just a, I just want to repeat what I'm doing? Or like, how did you go about it? No, it might actually had a significant change. So when I first got into property, I was confused in even how to set a goal in property. Right? I was coming to the notion of, well, if I get 10 properties and $100,000 in passive income, seems what everyone else wants, I'll work out how to do that and then I'll set some goals after it. So I even delayed the goal-setting process. And then I got a little bit deeper into it and I'm like, well, there's so many factors into even that specific goal that just don't work for me. And it's a great goal for a lot of people, but even down to the point that my real goal was to create a property portfolio that could support my lifestyle expenses. So I want my property portfolio to pay for my expenses, but then I also didn't want it to be reliant on me continually needing to put capital in because I'm a business owner and will particularly when you're in online business, things can change very quickly. So things like negatively gearing or doing strategies of development where mass amounts of capital could be required down the road, I just don't know if what I do is going to exist in five years. Yeah. And with what I've recently seen in chat, GDP and AI, I very much question if it will. <laughs> yes. Take, take it as you go. Yes, you can. Yeah, so how I eventually got to it is going, well, I need to look at personally what I want to get out of being a property investor. Uh, and I did. And then I also need to look at my personal circumstance in waiting what strategies could be right for me. So for anyone out there that's going through a similar experience, I really encourage starting there. Like your goals may be wildly different to the consensus of normal property investors. And we use this example all the time, right? But if you're a doctor in a government job and you love doing it and you've got guaranteed income uh, for the next 50 years, go nuts, negative gear the shit out of it. Like <laughs> systems practice. Well, the system's practically designed designed to be extorted by that person. I was going to say that there are like five to ten uh, occupations that is just like, and negative gearing was designed for you. That is exactly what it is. I'm Completely. Curious. When you, because you said that basically started without a goal and then you kind of set a goal, but you, I know your life, you have changed. Like your situations, you've moved close to the city, close to being me. Thank you. Uh, and which increases someone's, costs per of living i was i will argue like have your goals adapted and changed as those personal situations like having a child have kind of come in where you're like i thought it would be this but now it's like this now i'm going to have to adapt and change to those situations or was it uh, i inflated enough and i sort of put enough of a buffer to understand what a co- additional cost a family is or additional cost that a new suburb is etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so th- that's an interesting question in itself um I, this is a Charlie belief. I believe when you get into property investing, you really get a choice, right? And this is the choice that I alluded to make. Or And there's probably more choices, but this is the choice I made for myself. I said, you either need to get really good at creating new capital in property. So this is with things like property development would be a really good example of this. Or you need to get really good at earning money outside of property to fund into property. So either way, you need to find a way to be able to produce immense amount of capital increase to get this snowball rolling. Now, I looked at uh, property development and a whole bunch of like, we'll call it uh, like manufactured growth strategies. And I said to myself that with the time and new skills I would have to learn to be able to do that, I think I'm going to focus on increasing my income in a field where I already have some experience. So rather than trying to do developments and have these massive capital uplifts and refinance out and kind of be self-funded within property, I said that I'm going to focus my uh, my time on career because I believe that's where I can have the biggest impact. So by doing that, I actually focused on increasing earnings outside of it and funneling money into property was the decision I made and the strategy I use today. And I, I went with this and it's like property investing is so much easier with a high income. Yeah, it really is. Totally. The banks will lend you more money. You can more easily come up with deposits. There are things that become available to you that just don't apply in the same way. And I'm happy to be transparent on this, but it's like if someone is making a hundred grand a year, which isn't a small income, the amount of uh, capital you can potentially access is about six or eight times your uh, earnings. 
right? But if you make 250 grand a year, which I'm very fortunate that I'm in that category, you can massively increase the access to borrowing in that way. And then over time, for that person who's on 100 grand to compete against uh, me, they would need to do developments or other more active strategies to kind of make up that difference where I'm more of the view, I almost want to be like more risk adverse and a bit more vanilla in property in the idea that I can make up with it with, in my case, business income. I find that fascinating. And it's also one of the things that I love about property is just how how much it can support the different types of individual. Like you would have heard about like people who have developed properties or subdivided properties or added some kind of capital improvement in order to extract out cash for like the next property and do the same for the next one, the next one, the next one. But they're sitting on 80 grand a year. <laughs> and you just and, sit there and you go. But maybe that's the choice they make. You Maybe exactly. you're in a job you don't hate and you can look at it. And Birchie's the most like notable oh, yeah. on this. Is like um, and Nathan Birch, which I'm a huge fan of. I, I think he's uh, really a guy that went for it. He swung for the fence. I've got mad respect for that. But there's, uh, in his earlier journey, he talks about working two jobs, doing renovations on properties, anything he could do to manufacture growth, earn capital out to kind of get that footing and starting property so the real compounding could happen. And for him, that's been a great choice. I love it. All right. Do you want to dive into your first one? Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to do a, a setup and a lay of a land because I think it's important for people to understand where I'm at today so that these goals make sense. Context, what is that, like contextual relevance? is <laughs> always important, I suppose, to throw at people in the deep end. Hey, Charlie, do you want to uh, do some contextual relevance? Where are you at in your property journey? <laughs> what a great question, Grant. Thank you for that one. <laughs> All right, so as of today, and again, I want to bring some transparency to this show, even though I, do, I feel a little bit nervous even saying this. Right, so dun, dun, dun. All right, cool. people we'll are going to know. We'll publish it everywhere. All right, go. All right, so as it stands today, which is in January 2023, I have 11 properties. So that's 11 separate titles. I'm not doing it. I have about, I think it's 16 doors or 17 doors is what they do it. And the reason I say that is like some of them are a duplex or a yeah. triplex where it's one title, but there's three uh, rented things on it. So I have 11 properties and the property portfolio value as of today is 6 million. Roughly. So you can work it up there. And my LVR position is uh, 47%. It's just about to cross 46. So I'm looking at that and we'll come back to that in a second. But I just want people to understand that, yes, I own 53% of my portfolio. It's geared at 47 or 46, whatever I said. Now, on a cash flow front, my property portfolio is making roughly – Actually, we'll just get the number here. Like, why not be transparent to people? Pull up the spreadsheet. I want specifics because I'm going to drill into this. Yeah, so as it stands on current rates, the gross profit, so this is the profit the portfolio makes just from rent before tax, not after, is $6,879 a month. Right, So that's almost $7,000 of passive or sorry, positive cash flow per month on the back of this. And then I've done like a little estimate here. It's like if I had to pay tax at my tax rate, well, actually, I'll leave that out. No one needs to know my tax rate. We've given you <laughs> enough information on this episode oh, so far. Here. But just say right, apply yeah, your own tax real. rate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, it's funny. Just apply the third, the rule of thirds. Just cut out a third. I, I would argue that no one wants that property. Uh, no one wants that property portfolio. It's horrible, isn't it? It's trash. Dude, I, I don't know how you sleep at night. I, <laughs> I can tell you very well. <laughs> I'm joking. I want to understand, like, obviously when you first started or when you accumulated up to eight, nine, tenth property, et cetera, obviously your LVRs wouldn't have been that low. Obviously your uh, gross profit wouldn't have been that high. How, how have you thought about it now? Like obviously you were accepting of the risk that you had when you first acquired them, which would be significantly higher than now versus now. Like are you looking at this saying, I'm really comfortable and happy with it where this is or are you looking at this going, hmm, Charlie, you might not be feeling aggressive enough like internally. That's an internal conversation not me saying it. Um, or are you looking at this going just based on where you see things, this is, this is where I need to be. It is very, very easy to fool yourself into the game of continually needing more. The infinite game of more as opposed to actually understanding where you're trying to get to. Yeah, I completely acknowledge I could buy more property right now. 
I'm in a position where I can gear up this portfolio to 80%, refinance out and buy more properties. And I've elected not to, which has been incredibly challenging, incredibly challenging because acquiring properties, and uh, I must admit there's a huge amount of like jealousy and envy in me in you going on your accumulator run now. That is. Oh, it's so much fun, the accumulator. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Go on. Where I've had to look at some restraint. And do you know why I've had to look at some restraint? Why? Because we hit our goal. <laughs> Hang on, what's, you're not saying this is a, I don't know what to do next because I've hit the goal? Or is this a stop and reevaluate? Or is this a Charlie's done hanging up the boots? Yeah, this is, I totally started a property por- uh, property <laughs> podcast because I'm retiring. That, that's what's happening. <laughs> well, this is the last episode. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, Great. so just a few clarification points. The cash flow on the portfolio is one side of the way this property portfolio makes money. We've also got the growth aspect of it as well, which it grows. Yeah. And together they combine to make our passive income a year, which is quite substantial, right? If you've got a $6 million portfolio and you're making seven grand a month on it in positive cash flow, Plus, my antithesis is it will grow at at least 5% a year from here. It's it's a really strong position to be in. Plus, really good earnings on top. Yeah, I still love my career in business and and contributing to that. So, this is the moment I had. Uh, I went and booked in for a uh, property portfolio review with my buyer's agent, uh, Dashdot, right, who are a sponsor of the show. Big thank you to Dashdot for Ooh. all you do and they've been uh, substantially helpful. And one of their uh, team made this video for me, and this was quite a while ago, and uh, he got my goals and he made this video and he's like, yeah, Charlie, so uh, you kind of hit your goals. <laughs> End of video. <laughs> well, to be honest, I didn't have the awareness to it. I hadn't necessarily connected the dots that we were kind of where we wanted to be initially. So yeah. then I had on the back of that, I had to look at it and go, well, what do I do from here? And this was like quite a while ago now. So I actually shifted my goal to reduce risk. I said, we've achieved something pretty special here. How does it make sense to keep taking on risk in the same way we were? Like taking on, you know, 90% LVR loans or doing high-risk property, like all these things start to become, well, if this doesn't go right, you can actually move backwards now. So I've got like a fear of loss where originally when I got into this, it was like I had a fear of not taking action where now this is more moved into like, I want to make sure I hold on and keep what I've got, make sure that we can sustain property as a long game and make sure as the bumps come up and down along the way that we can stay in the game because that's what I think is a really interesting idea. If you've got a big portfolio geared up to 90% and then rates start moving around like they have, by the way, that's going to create stress, sleep at night factor, a whole bunch of things where I elected to move into a colon, uh, what is it? I can't say the word, consolidation. Yep. A consolidation phase. So once I knew I'd hit the goal, the next thing I worked into was how do I consolidate this to make sure that I can play a really long game here? I want to make sure that I can hold this portfolio for 30, 40, 50 years and it's like I sleep regardless what the um, the economy is doing. So we have moved towards uh, paying down debt through income and then also allowing just the property portfolio to pay down itself out of its cash flows. And it's been a really good move. So that's kind of like setting the context to a degree. Firstly, appreciate the pure transparency on, on everything. And I've, I have consumed a lot of property content before, Charlie. It is very, very rare that people actually show under the covers. And that's one of the key things that you and I want to run through in uh property and investing podcast is actually show people like this is the portfolios. This is what we're doing. And this is the actual dollars that sit behind it. Um, we've spoken about mine. Can, can I make one point just around that is like, totally. I don't want to emphasize that that was easy or quick, but this has been a get rich slow with the immense help of a team of advisors. Cool. I by no means want to sell the idea that I am some whiz property investor with ridiculous skill at picking property locations or be saying this is financial advice for other people to do the same. Like find your team. I really want to be uh, careful around that because obviously with some of the things we're saying here, Grant, it could be very luring to people to make decisions without properly getting educated or getting the right people around them. Totally, because you can't can't relive the past. Like when you purchase properties and locations that you bought them at, the price you bought them at, the cash that you had available, et cetera, et cetera. Like <laughs> you cannot relive those exact examples. That's such a great point. I, you can't go back and buy the properties I bought before COVID. 
Dude, I, I wish I was in some of your suburbs and I'm like, it's just it make no sense now. <laughs> I'm like, I just can't build a time machine. But it's really interesting that you've gotten to this point and, and I've spoken to quite a few property investors um, and some of them actually own property exclusively in Victoria where they got to the same layer where they had quite a few million dollars in property and they said, for us to make one big risk that would risk the entire portfolio is stupid. <laughs> they're just like, and so they look at it like yes. a, a banking strategy. So they're like, well, we've worked hard and, and we've pushed very much to get to this level. Now, how do we not risk any of this level and can, to your point, like consolidate, let debt pay down itself and then reevaluate where the next layer of risk comes in. And it's not that they want to get completely out of property. It's not that they stop. They just go, I need to bank this. Everything needs to be addressed so it never risks anything that we've built. And then the next decision of what we do or the properties that we purchase next is uh, how we get away from those ones so that this is in its own isolation and we play a very different game, which is more of a risk off than a risk on for someone who might be starting out. And like, again, not financial advice. That was kind of like myself. I'm like, dude, if I bought a quarter of a million dollar house, like, man, even if I was making 80 grand a year, 100 grand a year, I'd be fine with paying it down. Right, so if it was not tenanted, no worries. Like that's fine. But if you go and risk a six million dollar portfolio and you're trying to pay off debt yourself from your own income, uh, that's risky. It's like a sliding scale because I'm clearly not no risk. There's still risk within what I'm doing, but I think when I was acquiring, I was more willing and up for that risk because there wasn't something to lose. Where now I'm definitely trying to be more balanced. And there's this other thing that is uh, really developed within me, and I don't want to steal one of my own goals here, but uh, in looking at what a lot of other investors do, particularly like Howard Marks, is a lot of investors get to this point where they've got a good position and then they strengthen it up and then they just wait. And they wait. Trapped and they spider. sit in the shadows or up above like a vulture. And then when good opportunity presents, they strike. Yeah. So, you know, Howard Marks famously was like in a really strong position when the 2008 global financial crisis happened and he made acquisitions then where he wasn't just trying to accumulate more. He had a degree of patience. When you get to this stage, that is something you start to appreciate differently as well because if you are going to make another acquisition, you because you don't need to make another acquisition, you can be more picky, more patient, more diligent, without the idea of that you're not going to hit your goal. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love, love Howard Marks. Absolutely love him. And so I'm curious, understanding the context of where you are, and I feel like I'm getting a, like a little undertone of what your goals might be. Do you want to kick off with your first goal? Yeah, we should get to that. We're like 25 minutes into this episode. <laughs> well, I haven't actually given a single I'll keep goal. trying to push it. I'll keep trying to push it. But awesome. No, nice to play. That, that's the uh, hurry, hurry up there. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit of tap up the bum going, come on, Charlie, let's. All right, let's so goal number one of this year is actually to optimize each property in the portfolio. So right. rather than looking at uh, potentially, you know, trying to scale out from a volume point of view, this is something I think a lot of property investors overlook. We're going to go through each of our properties and see what opportunities exist with renovations and upkeep so that we can actually increase the cash flow on each property. Now, to give you an idea, if you could spend, uh, let's say you could spend $100,000 on improving a property, but you were able to increase the rent, let's say $250, $300 a week because of that, that would be a move that I would be looking at. I think that's a really good idea to improve each property and have those properties be as optimum as they can so you've got a better quality property rather than just trying to get more. Now, the second layer to this is also making sure that each property is on the right financial product for them. So I've been working with my mortgage broker already a little bit because as you've experienced yourself, Grant, is new financial products come out all the time. What if there was a way of changing the mortgage so that we could actually get the rate lower or a, a new type of finance in a trust that offers some sort of difference that could be advantageous to us? So the balance between the actual upgrading of the property and upgrading of the finance that sits under each property is my number one goal for this year. I love that. It's funny. So I love the upping the property. And it's funny 
it's funny looking at when I have done this at a smaller portfolio where I've got three properties and going for the fourth one now. And like you're sitting at what, like 11 properties and you're now evaluating you know, going, well, if I can go and find $100,000 uh, to spend to go and get 200, 300 bucks, like this is the best way for me to continue uh, growing this portfolio. Where I got to the point where I bought a place and I'm like, cool, lock it down. Oh my gosh, we can totally renovate the bottom floor. Let's do it. 25 grand in, let's go and increase the rents by 100 bucks. Uh, let's do this. And then after I finished it, I'm like, okay, cool. It was successful. And it's a two and a half year, three year payoff, right? Which is I spent 25 grand. The way the rent increased, it will pay off the ex- expenditure that I spent over two to three years. And in my hindsight, I'm sitting there going, man, I should have just waited because that 25 grand would have been better for another property. <laughs> Cause I- it- Maybe. I will say maybe on that. And I just want to give people some numbers because you're looking at that through a very, very interesting lens and I'm not sure if I agree with that. I will. Ex- you share this and I'll put my layer on top. In Again, this is my opinion and my view. All right. So for anyone playing at home, if you borrow $100,000 right now on a 30-year loan at 5%, which I'm going to – actually, I'll just put it in at 6 just because who knows what rates will do. At 6%, if you borrow $100,000, that's $500 per month in interest cost. And so, yeah, or if you're on principal and interest, it's actually uh, $600 a month. So if you could invest into your own property and spend a hundred grand and you could get the rent up, let's say a thousand bucks a month, you could actually make a good amount of positive cash flow on improving properties in that light. Severely underlooked strategy. It really is. And I made note of this after we did a little renovation to one of our properties, just how much we were able to get the rents up. So I just wanted to include that in there and the thinking that went behind why I would want to optimize properties in the idea that you could actually make them all each individually more profitable. And it's funny because exactly the calculation that you did was going to be my next point on the renovation. So I did this renovation, got it revalued. So I expected to spend 25, reval increase of 50 grand and rent increase, and I just refinance out the increase, right? No. <laughs> so what were, the, what were the end numbers? It was a 30 grand increase in value. But again, like at the time had been like four months anyway. So I don't know what of that 30 grand was the property itself increasing or just the renovation itself increasing. But like I'm like, I just didn't refinance the cash out. I said, that's just not there. Like the numbers didn't make sense. Where your point, if you were to go and get those numbers – and you were able to refinance it out. I think that's perfect because, and this is my benefit of, of hindsight of going, you know what? That is now a strategy that when I get to call it 11 properties, $6 million, and I'm like, how do I improve this? I've already swung the bat. I swung the bat now. <laughs> like, <clears throat> it's not like I've got that bat to swing for that property anymore. Like, I'd have to do some other improvement. Which maybe in my yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge this so hard. And this, um, hey, this is why I've got a podcast. This absolutely. So first off, how many valuations did you get done? Uh, it was only once with one bank. Case in point. <laughs> so just knowing right now in my own experience, when I've uh, had valuations done of the same property with different valuers, desktop versus yeah, totally. in person, I suspect that money was sitting there. It, so it, it I, I'll just call it maybe relook at that. It's funny. In these podcasts, like you sound like such an optimist. I'm like this massive pessimist and it's like not the way the world is. <laughs> Just saying. The second Maybe. point I'll make there is as you've increased the income on the property, right, and that it's gone up in value, you've actually lowered your LVR and increased your income. So it's actually increased your borrowing power elsewhere anyway. Yeah. I, so the equity thing is like an interesting one where I look at it and you potentially can get or could have gotten, I know some times past since then, the result you wanted out of that property, potentially. But you do bring up this excellent point though because sometimes it's worth not doing a renovation to a later point if you're trying to do the accumulator. So for you now, I in that, and this is unsolicited advice at the <laughs> highest level. This is if you were me, got it, yep. Totally. I, I look at it and go, if your goal is to acquire four properties this year, all you're going to do is acquire them. You're not going to do renovations or developments. You would come back around at a later point. And this is where like thinking of property investing in stages, I think is really powerful as well. So if you are going to do an accumulator run, and I did mine, like I bought, you know, eight properties in like, we'll call it two years. It was less than that, but roughly 
to go on to that run is like we weren't coming back and doing the renovations and things in that light because we were just so busy getting ready for the next property and every cent into the next deposit. And to your point, playing the game of valuations. So we get look at this valuation, we're in this position. So it's like that becomes the sport you're doing at that time. The reason I brought it up is because it it supported my next question of going, how are you going to evaluate? Because if you looked across a portfolio of 11 properties with, what, 17 doors, it's a lot of places probably with a lot of potential improvements. Some might have a 10 grand improvement. Some might have 100 grand. Some might even have a quarter of a million dollar improvement. Have you thought about how you're going to weigh up or sequence or across any of them, especially for this year of, uh, hey, like, let's, how do we optimize and extract um, capital, extract increase in rents and do all these things? I'm focusing in on that one, by the way. Um, do you have any thoughts around how you're going to evaluate them against each other? Is it whatever renovations that's cheapest wins? Is it the greatest potential ROI wins? Like how are you going to look at it? Yeah, so great question. I love this one. I had to take you back to another point though. So at the start of last year, we did a big refinance and actually got our capital positions in a way we wanted. So we did extract some equity and put it in offset accounts to have appropriate buffers on every property. And this was a little bit of a mitigation on like, well, if interest rates go up. And then it was also a bit of a mitigation on like liquidity. I think there's a conversation everyone needs to have and address with their finance team and accountant and everything of going, well, how long could my property portfolio survive? And how much liquidity do I want to make sure I have available for whatever comes up? So we did that and we had a good amount of liquidity here. So the funds to execute on these renovations is already sitting in accounts. So we're not taking equity out to do that now. It's already kind of been done or not done, depending on the property. Some we actually put money into because we weren't happy with the cash flow of the property. So we wanted to pay down some debt and put it in a stronger position so it could keep itself clean. Um, Or the trust, we wanted to look a certain way, which I won't go here or there. So then the second part is like, well, how did we approach, well, what renovations are worth doing versus not worth doing? And that was actually through the utilization of the property managers. So we would go to the property managers and said, hey, is there anything you can see that would make a noticeable difference to this property to get a significant rental increase? And whether that's an air conditioner has been like a cheap one that would, you know, you spend a couple of grand on air con, might get you up 10 bucks a week or whatever it is, where some is like, you know, can we add an extra bedroom? Yeah. So it's the scale of those things. And then my uh, idea is do the easy ones first because renovating can be intense. And I look at it and go, if you can get a few little easy wins on the board early, that will be great. But then the other challenge is, is timing of leases. So you've got to really look at this and go, if you know a lease is coming up in three months, you may want to prioritize things that can be done in that time so that when the rental renewal or the lease renewal comes around, you can actually go, well, that increase is going to fall perfectly in there. Yeah. So there's a strategic nature to when the leases end, the use of the property manager and then just complexity. So we'll think of it like a matrix, right? How hard to do, potential uplift, and then the timing. The time. It's funny that you say that. I remember when we were doing that 25K renovation, it was like straight at the start of us leasing out the property, like just after we had acquired it. And so these people wanted the property and we're like, yeah, you can have it. You just can't access the bottom floor for like the next four months. <laughs> Because we're going to be renovating it. And they were completely fine. Where imagine if it was mid lease, it's not like I can get the property manager to go, hey, can you move all your stuff out of the bottom floor? And <laughs> we're just going to go in and completely renovate it. So that that timing is absolutely crucial. I am um, one thing that's been on the top of my head quite a lot with the accumulator run, the accumulator run that I'm going on, which if you want to, if anyone's listening to this and going, what the hell is Grant talking about? Just listen to the previous episode. And we were talking about the sequencing or simultaneous run of it like would i buy two properties at one time or would i just go sequential and just buy them after each other curious would you do two three renovations at one time noting that you're not the one swinging the hammer or would you wait would you do one wait until that's done and then do the next one depends on the complexity i would if it's putting in an air conditioner or some like you know painting a room not a bit not a big deal like that's quite easier to manage. As soon as you add in things where it's like multiple trades, vacancies, maybe needing to get council approval for some sort of stuff, as soon as you get to that level, it's one at a time. And the reason for that is I just don't have the time to actively manage those things. If my full-time gig was property instead of this podcast. (laughs) 
then maybe I would have the time to do so. But I very much view it in that way. It's like I'd rather just take our time with it and do them in that way, noting it's going to take a year, but property's a long game. What's yeah. the rush? Yeah. I'm going to get back to your finance part, like your part one, <laughs> after I finish the part two. So have you started? Like have you started talking to property managers and started getting their ideas and thoughts and what they expect the ROIs to be? Or so is this kind of cheated on this? Oh, we started yeah. the property managers in November when we came up with the goal. I'm like, why are we waiting till the start of the year? Like, if we if we've got this and we know we're going to do it, let's start executing on this. Let's talk to the property managers. Uh, we're way too similar. <laughs> I did exactly the same. I'm like gene up everyone on finance and stuff before we go. Okay. Yeah, I, I and the most surprising thing so far is like it's amazing what a kitchen is worth in some areas. Oh, like yeah. a kitchen uh, remodel or upgrade can make a significant difference to rents. And then what, one other one I found interesting is like uh, sometimes like renovating isn't worth it. You could add a bedroom in and it like won't make any noticeable difference to the rent. Mm. It, yeah. Ha, have any property managers come through with the recommendations that you're just like, nah, or do you take them as they kind of come and go, cool, you know, it, you know the area better than me and the clientele better than I. Whatever you say, I'm going to probably take is kind of gospel. Noting that you are a plumber by trade, so you probably know more than most, but I'm curious. Do you know what? We should mention that as well because I, I think I've got a bit of a unique advantage where my dad was a builder. Totally. We grew up building houses and flipping homes. Like I'm uh, a plumber, like I did a plumbing apprenticeship and worked as a plumber for many years. I've got some advantages in construction and understanding of these things that many property investors don't. Like I can assess how hard things are to build or renovate or do at a very different level than someone who doesn't have that experience. Yeah. Um, so – to your point, it's not that we've said no to anything. It's more we've just like pulled out the ones we want to do and acted on them. Yeah. So the list still sits there. I, lo- I love it. And then going back to your first point, and by the way, this was a massive goal. So I'm trying to like unpiece sort of components of it. You were talking about the finance layer and actually utilizing better financial products to improve like cash flow and decrease. I think you said interest rates. Just want to walk me through that a little bit of – like the way that you're approaching it and how you're going to sort of implement that through 2023. Yeah, so most noticeably it's a higher interest rate environment right now. It, it really is. And I think just refinancing could be a potential strategy to improve the profitability and cash flow of a property portfolio this year. Like just harassing banks and finding the best deals and brokers could actually be the thing that makes you the most money in 2023. Totally. Um, So what I've been looking at here is that in uh, my experience, and this could change, is that if you have loans on principal and interest versus interest only, they normally charge you like half a percent, maybe even a percent with some banks to be on interest only. I had some loans sitting on interest only where I didn't need the cash. So this is where we did a refinance, potentially even got some cash out, and then refinance it to principal and interest sitting that cash in an offset account to bring down the interest rate on the loan. And there was one that was like 0.8% just for that change. So nearly 1% difference in the loan for making that change. Now on that property, the loan was like $500,000. So 1%, that's five grand a year. Huge change. So that's $100 a week that property is now more profitable because of that loan restructuring. Not to, yeah, not to mention that you're actually paying down the principal on top of a cash flow positive portfolio <laughs> on top of a lower interest rate. I, I think that that idea, which is why I wanted to cover it, is just not covered enough. It's almost like, like especially for myself, with everything that I've been told, it's like property investors primarily focus on interest only and then get to the end of the two-year, three-year interest only period. And guess what, Charlie? We refinance again. <laughs> and then we go and get another interest only period as opposed to saying what other financial products are out there to actually support my goal and where I'm at and where I'm trying to get to. Because it could be, I'd argue that there could be a point where I get to a similar situation and go, you know what, I think he and I might be right for this season of where I'm at. I completely get this is a very personalized question. Like finance setup, depending on your circumstances, is very, very different. Like it can be um, wildly different. I'll, just sh- I'll share a couple more here. Is like I want you to imagine you've got a property in a trust as well where trust is notoriously where they charge higher interest rates as well. There's totally the that. notion of refinancing a property that's maybe in your personal name that's on a lower rate, taking capital out and then refinancing a property in a trust to put that money in 
to have lesser loan on the higher interest rate trust. So just in context is like you could increase your debt in your personal name on a lower rate and decrease your debt in a trust to make sure that you get a differential as well. So just some of the strategies you can look at. And I think of like, you know, Dave Ramsey's like debt snowball. He's like, if you've got high interest debt on credit cards, pay that down first. And it hit me pretty apparently that you can kind of do that with property as well. Like you can refinance your loans to, for example, have a higher amount of debt in your personal name and lesser debt in trusts if that serves your purpose. That's very individualized and won't work for everyone as well. But I hope it can get people's minds turning to the idea of like what loans and sizing and depending on what structure they're in can make a huge difference to the profitability and cash flow in a portfolio as well. But it's actually interesting. As I acquire more properties my awareness of difference in rates and difference in products continues to increase. And so I can, I can imagine for yourself where you got like 11 properties and you'll see like this one property where like the interest rate is like super high. It's like 7%. You're like, you outlier, come back here. <laughs> and you go May get have had one Do yeah, you think yeah, I had a property on interest only in a trust and I was like, you, you are shitting me what they're trying to charge me <laughs> on this. Are you, right? <laughs> you do it. Yeah, what are you doing? Completely. So then, yeah. So these are the things you can start to do in this consolidation phase. Like as the accumulator, you become less orientated on this. You may obtain any finance deal. Like, yeah, I'll take 10%, just buy a property. But it's like, and we did, to be clear, like we took on some less than ideal loans. But it's like um, when you get to this stage and you're starting to optimize, you start to pay more attention to this because when you've got a portfolio of my size, you can start to think about, well, these 1% changes, like they're significant. Like they're really significant. Um, And just one more point on this is I used to have this really, I'll call it irrational fear of like the idea of I didn't want the bank taking the principal and locking away that capital. But you get to a point where paying down debt starts to become a part of the strategy. And you completely acknowledge that um, you can always get equity out or refinance or do other things to access that capital should circumstance prevail. So that's how I've been thinking about it anyway. So I'm going to, I'm going to repackage this up because it's like your first goal is right. net improvement, I'll call it, because and, – and I'll articulate Net why. improvement. I want a better word. It's optimization. How do I get the <laughs> most out of what I've got? I'll kick the finance out of me one day, the corporate finance, um, where it's like right, – Can I use one thing around this? Consider okay. this. If you've got 11 properties and you can optimize each one of these properties for rents – for making sure they're like good properties to get the a right amount of yield and get it on the right finance. If you do that across a portfolio of my size, the gain is equivalent to buying another property. Completely. And that, funnily enough, is kind, kind of where I was going to go because you've got this, this sweet part. Every time I look at a property, it's, there's a dollar value of the property. So you're increasing the value of the property through the renovations that you will do. Some will be small, some will be quite large, and that will be at different times. So great. The net wealth will, in theory, I should say, again, nothing's guaranteed, Charlie, should in theory increase because you're improving the asset. On the other side, you're decreasing your expenses through refinancing and finding better finance products on top of that. But then you're also increasing your rent through discussions with your property managers, which I know you're already having, but also through the renovations that you are having in order for your net profit from a cash flow perspective, which is increasing revenue, decreasing expenses, <laughs> becoming better, which means at the end of wherever you get to on this goal, yeah, your property values will be higher and your profits will be higher than if you were just to sit on your hands and go, let's let's allow this portfolio to mature. <laughs> It's like quite active. That's what I love about property. You get to decide how active you want to be. If you want to be more passive, you totally can. If you want to be a little bit more active, you can totally increase the gains you get from it. I love how I just I love how deliberate it is. <laughs> and by the way, we're like forty minutes in. It is like one goal. <laughs> no, we'll speed. We'll speed right. through the next ones. Speed round. All right, goal number two. Give it. As I hinted at this one earlier, but I want to be in a position to strike if opportunity presents. Now I don't know if that's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I don't know if it's going to take five years. But what I believe is that business, markets, life moves in cycles. Yep. And there's going to be a moment, whether it's a replica of the 2008 crisis or inflation or whatever it is, where 
just like when pre-COVID things happened and there was great opportunities for people who were prepared or even during COVID for that reason, I want to be in a position where the day comes up where there's a good purchase, I'm on it. Yeah. That is the thing I want to be very much on top of. I want to I want to dive deeper into this one a little bit. Is this you sitting there on real estate, I don't know, listening to actually property investing podcasts, real estate news websites and Charlie being the one trying to pinpoint the opportunity or is this you going out to the property manager saying, hey, guys, I'm looking, there's no time horizon over the next 12 months, 24 months, five years, it doesn't matter, just looking for an opportunity. Like how are you actively pushing towards this goal, whether it whether you make that acquisition this year, next year, or otherwise, to your point, how are you doing that? Like, how are you thinking about it? Yeah, so I don't think you can go to a buyer's agent with the idea of like, oh, when a great opportunity comes up, let me know. I think that's actually- no, I, a, I, 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 I totally think that know. is a, a terrible complete, approach was, in general for it was a complete. It was a complete tongue-in-cheek concept because I'm like, well, how are you going to approach this when the new opportunities are around? Yeah, so this is probably going to be more focused around like media and stock market. So, and I'll say that because in the idea that like, I'm not going to pretend I know much about shares or stocks, but if the markets are down 50%, which happens, what, every uh, 10 years or whatever the cycle is, or there's massive news on the, on the TV about property, you know, being cut in half, or the economy's tanking and that uh, jobless claims are up massively, unemployment issues. Oh no, like there'll be signs. Like I'm not going to predict when it's going to happen. But I think just like in 2008, it was easy to see something was wrong. <laughs> it's not like anyone was predicting. Well, there were a few people that predicted it. Thanks, Michael Berry. Um, but there were very few people that were just sitting there banking on it happening. It was just when it happened, the people like Howard Marks who had liquid funds were the ones who were able to seize or vulture those opportunities. Yeah, just as an FYI, Michael Burry also made an absolute ton when the COVID crash happened. Like when the dip happened, he bought a lot of like tech options. Just made a killing. So once again, he was in a position to strike. So this, uh, yeah. very, very interesting. And these are the people I admire and look at it and go, that's where the significant gain has been made. So for myself, it's being in that position to read an economy and look at it and go, all right, we're in one of these moments where there's, what does Warren Buffett call it, blood on the streets. I'm going to be in a position to act. I'm not going to try and forecast when it's going to happen because I don't know how to do that, but I'll be ready. And if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of a little bit of what Steve McKnight did once with the US market where he had a lot of dry powder or like liquid cash or and he had access to debt and he dove into like the US market and stuff. Just as he's done it a few times. Yeah, where he just had that liquidity and he was just open to the opportunities that he saw and he was malleable in the sense of, it's not like I just need this particular type of type of property is like wherever the blood is on the streets, I'm having to jump on. Which you know what? This is the sharp awareness I've had. I can't buy the properties I bought a few years ago again. Yeah. Like I can't get access to those deals that were really strong today. So I have to be malleable. Property is one of these things where it's like if you look at different time horizons, things were a great idea. Like can you think of like, you know, buying property in Perth pre-mining boom? (gasps) Yeah, 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 yeah. Great idea. Post mining boom, maybe not. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> or at one point in time, buying property in Melbourne and Sydney CBDs was perfect, but it's like, you know, it was the right opportunity. Today, that may or may not be the case. So you have to very much look to like what is presented in the property market. You don't get to go, no, no, no. It's time to buy property unit blocks in Melbourne. It is time. I, it must be time to buy that. You don't get to do that. Hey, I wish I was a market mover. That'd be great. <laughs> like today is the day. Um, so in summary, I love how you framed up this, which is like be in a position to strike if the opportunity kind of pops up as opposed to there will be an opportunity in 2023 and I will strike on that opportunity. It's just like, no, I've just got the position to strike on it. I love it. Got another one for us? Any other goals? Absolutely. It's a little bit counter, but I hope people can appreciate that this is achievable. I want to make one acquisition. Really? Yeah, so I just want to unpack this first before we go too far. So there's being in a position to strike if opportunity presents. And then I've got this last goal here about making one potential uh, acquisition. Now, this acquisition I make cannot be counter to taking me out of position to strike if a great opportunity presents. Yep, I get you. I'm with you so far. So I still have to stay in that zone. However, with this acquisition, I'm looking for something 
that is a more significant long play. I want a long game play. So whether that's a potential subdivision, whether it's a potential renovator, whether it's a potential development, whether it's a potential uh, PPR play, right? There's something in it where I want to take an extremely like longer term horizon on the type of acquisition. So that's what I'm looking at as my kind of like final goal for this year. I was going to say, it, it's so counter to like your first point of like, let's make sure that we optimize because it's like, it is interesting. You're wanting to optimize and you wanted to do a lot in the portfolio and have enough to be in a position to strike. And you want to have an acquisition as well. Yeah. Can I throw one more distinction on this one though? All right, good, good. There's a portion of like experience on this. So the first two goals are absolutely counter to just wealth. Right, they are in like, all right, let's make sure we take care of the wealth thing. And I am prioritizing them as a, a thing from here. But what's also come out of this experience is my love of property. Yeah. So the last goal is actually like me enjoying the sport of property a little bit more and getting to experience the different things within property investing. So, and that, you know, to be fair, I've even considered this is there's potentially one property in my portfolio I may even sell and then upgrade. Oh. So... Throw that out there. We'll see where we land across this year, but it's definitely on my mind. But if I'm going to be frank on this one, which I'm Charlie, but just in case I end up frank, <laughs> I might even cross the last goal off the list depending on how the first two go. That was the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Proper dad joke. It's trash. I, all right, I got one question that we'll wrap this one up. Let's do it. Do you ever see us doing one of these episodes over the next millennia? Yep, that's how long I'm committing you to this podcast, Charlie where there is a single year where you will not do an acquisition. Do you see that in your current state now? And I know you can't foresee the future and all these kind of things, but the Charlie that exists as at right now in, in January 2023, do you think there will ever be a year where you don't acquire property? That's a really tough question. Totally. Hence why I asked it. Not in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm like, I'll be that guy. I'm like, Dude, I will buy like a real cheap place just to acquire something within a year <laughs> just because I'd feel like I'm getting rusty and old if I don't do it. <laughs> it's like, what do you know? I have to buy something. I just get to you know, I'm, I'm going to take it back though because I think this is one of those things where it's like I can feel it's my excitement and greed gland kicking in. I totally, it, I'm it really leaning into is. my character. I'm leaning into my – I understand who I am as an individual and I will just go, you know what? I will still put the $1 on the edge of a roulette board. Why? I just want to be in the game, Charlie. <laughs> Well, as we've discussed in a previous episode, I think there's room in my portfolio for what I'll call upgrades. So there might come a time where there's so much equity within an individual property that I might go, do you know what? I'm going to sell this property and then go into commercial. I see. Because I I want to change that type of asset or maybe it's going from a uh, higher yielding asset to going into something different or for growth for whatever reason or to do a development. So I can see those things coming up for me. I also might want a new PPR at some point and go for the dream house and that might involve selling something to fund the type of property I want to buy. So there's a whole bunch of things that would have me like change assets where I'm open to that as well. Yeah, I'm just going to keep nipping at your heel so you don't get old and rusty and stop buying on me. I'm not going to lie, the part of you doing the accumulator has me wanting it. Do you know what? I think this goal of one acquisition might actually only be on here because you're in the accumulator. The little little pit bull terrier is like nipping at the heel. It's like... (laughs) I'm keeping you honest, Charlie. All right, let's wrap this one up. Uh, first up, really appreciate like the transparency and everything now that we all know exactly what sits in your portfolio and how it operates and runs, um, but also the goals that you're running to uh, for this year. And for anyone who's listening to this, if you're like, damn, finally people are being super transparent with what they have and how they're operating in their property portfolio, be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. So just head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. We inform you every single time we drop one of these episodes. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie.